Welcome to the Men Among Demons podcast. In a disoriented world, this is the podcast that asks what would happen if we truly put Christ at the center of our thinking. I'm your host, Dr. Daniel Opperwall. And I'm your host, Dr. Greg Weeb. Hi, Greg. Hey, man. The way I'm sort of envisioning these these first episodes of our podcast, we're kind of diving into big subjects, doing an initial foray into topics that are rightfully speaking much too large, actually, to to handle. Um, So, but I, I see it as sort of kind of doing these initial gambits, initial drafts, laying some groundwork that will then kind of, you know, that we can refer back to and just start the building process um, of, of the kind of thing that we do together. So today in the same vein, I kind of want to talk about uh, male and female. I kind of want to talk about men and women. Um, and I thought that maybe the way to get into it was to talk about uh, consent, notions of consent and consent culture, because when this comes up, uh, I find that you tend to have very strong and interesting opinions. Um, so I thought maybe that maybe that would be maybe that would be the way to get into it, though, though, obviously, it's part of this larger conversation about you know, what are, what are men and women for, you know, why, why is the image of God, uh, male and female, so to speak. Um, so, but you know, well, let's start, if you don't mind, let's start with, uh, with consent. I mean, do you want to, do you want to maybe try to give a, give a bit of a rundown of what you think about consent culture, what you think it is, or what, you know, some of the, some of the basics of, uh, of, of how you orient your thought, um, um, in this, in this day and age. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's a, no, it's a good, it's a good question. It's on a lot of people's minds. I know we're both around universities where this is a, even as even especially big deal, but it's a big deal everywhere else. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, so in one way, maybe the first important thing to say is that in a certain way, consent culture and what's going on with sexual consent, it kind of doesn't affect me at all. There's, there's a really important way in which I don't, I don't care. I hope that doesn't sound overly harsh. You always have to remember that, that line that St. Paul says, right? Like what, you know, what concern of it is it, is, is it of mine, what the world does? And and to be, to be clear, lest I sound like extremely callous, like sexual assault is an enormous problem and it's a scourge and it should never happen ever. Uh, It's an outrage and, and people who commit these crimes, you know, sexual assaults and other such things, uh, you know, rightly need to be, punished by the state in accordance with the law. <clears throat> so I'm, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to say there's not problems out there, but, but it, with respect to the issue of consent, that's kind of a, a sub problem of it. I think that any human being who's, who's not psychotic or something, <laughs> a psychopath or something would agree that, you know, rape and sexual assault should, should never happen to anyone. Uh, but what you now have, and, and this is what I think you're actually after, the question then is, well, what, what do we do about it? And I think what we have right now is a culture that wants to say, well, we want to have really libertine sexual practices and just kind of sleep with whoever we, we feel like. But of course, we, also, we don't want rape and sexual assault. So part B of that, we don't want rape and sexual assault. Any Christian is, should be 100% behind. I certainly am. But I think what the society is beginning to run into is the fact that having a... And without B, have, having your libertine sexual culture without problems of 
of, of sexual assault and consent is, is very, very difficult. Um, and of course, even in traditional cultures, issues of, of assault and consent come up. But where, where the rubber is hitting the road, I, I feel like, is where you say, okay, we want to go out and we want to sleep with whoever we want to. And if, as long as they want to sleep with us too. Okay. And it sort of sounds nice enough on paper, I suppose, in a certain way. I mean, it's, it's already a moral problem. But as a system, it almost sounds like it could work. But then you very, very quickly realize, well, it doesn't. Because the question of who I want to sleep with and who wants to sleep with me is, in fact, astonishingly complex. And if you've just met somebody, the question of whether, whether you both want to sleep together is incredibly slippery. Uh, and this is where we start to get a lot of issues about where it's sort of like, was this an assault? Was it not because of consent? Was consent given? Could it have been given? And all of a sudden you're looking at like, you know, all these sorts of conditions, like was the person inebriated? How much? And uh, what was going, did they consent at the beginning and change their minds? What happens if you in the moment kind of felt like you wanted to do this, but you wake up the next morning and you sincerely regret it? Does what is what does that mean now? Was it real then, or were you? It's it's just incredibly complicated, and uh, I, I don't envy those who are trying to navigate those waters. Um, I think, yeah, it sounds like it really sucks. So I'm pretty glad to be a, a married man. You know, the worst case scenario for us is that one of us isn't in the mood. Uh, no one's going to go to jail. <laughs> you know, we're not going to get diseases. Uh, pregnancy is not a crisis. It's actually a joy. Um, sex and all its consequences are, are liberated by the marriage bond. It's, this is actual freedom. I think, I think I said this in a previous episode, we were talking about something else, but the same kind of thing. And, and when you try to take, take the, you want to try to take the pleasure of it all and divorce it from the need for certain kinds of restrictions, the need for certain kind of asceticism. It's like doing that with anything else. It's like eating ice cream for dinner. Ice cream is delicious. I, I enjoy ice cream, but if you just eat nothing but ice cream, you're going to be miserable and sick and your body's going to be sick. Um, to have to put it in its place. Uh, we as Orthodox, we do this with meat and, uh, you know, and cheese and these sorts of things. You have to put them in their place and have a certain amount of control and not just eat them whenever you feel like. And that's what makes them good. It's not because they're bad. They're not evil things at all. You don't fast from what's evil. We fast from what's good in order to construct a space around it that allows it to be good. Uh, and sex is just the same thing. It's a very pleasurable, beautiful, amazing thing. It makes babies. It's, um, you know, those of us who are married know how enjoyable it is. And it's just that, yeah, you can't just go doing that willy nilly all over the place and expect this to work out any more than you can with any other earthly pleasure um, or earthly good thing. We'll call it a good thing. So, yeah. So to pull out, you know, to pull out a thread, you, um, you made a passing comment about system. And I think uh, that, you know, so, so thinking of marriage as a system, right, that mar marriage as a system of dealing with a certain, uh, you know, complex of issues and opportunities, and that consent is trying to n itself now, you know, consent, consent culture or something like that is trying to present another kind of system to, to, to get at the same, uh, to get at the same complex sets of problems and opportunities but with uh, different goals, different goals in mind, right? The set, you know, satisfaction and desire. But like, you know, th that touches on for me, I, I notice 
And I don't really, I mean, I'm not thinking about this conversation as, as delving into, um, you know, the LGBTQ plus side of things, but you know, it occurred to me when you said, when you said it, when you met, when you mentioned the word system, that there's something about the conversation. Like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know how you feel. Like when you get asked by this okay, so the two of us are, you know, Orthodox Christians and we, and we know from years of being friends, how, how close our hearts are to one another and how much we agree, but you know, that's not all the conversations we have, right? Sometimes we get asked these things uh, by people with whom we cannot in any meaningful way count on, on agreement. And I, and I'd be interested to know how you, f- how, you know, how you respond in, in those kinds of cases. But I find like, the thought I keep coming back to is like, you know, is, is I'm wanting to make this basic distinction between, you know, there's a way of talking about these issues when you're talking about, you know, someone in front of you with, with a personal stake in it, who's living their lives and trying honestly to figure it out. And they've got, you know, there's talking with a person and then there's talking like we're talking or like you might talk in theory where you're actually, what you're talking about is, 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 you know, how, you know, how to think about an issue like this or a complex of issues like this systemically, you know, how do you approach these things in a, across a social way and, and not, and you don't want those two things. Like you want to be in uh, those two things to be continuous with one another, right? I want my general principles to be reflected and manifested in the particular conversation while at the same time, knowing that, you know, it's not an appropriate way to have a conversation if you're just, uh, you know, iterating all of your basic principles, regardless of who's actually standing in front of you and what their particular questions are. But anyways, just to draw it back, I don't know if, I, like, if that's if that's a distinction that that you that you have thought about uh, in, in your in your own thoughts, but um, but like really to draw this thread of 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 the system, you know, thinking about this as a way of. Um, you know, the, I'm not. Maybe I'm not quite sure what I what I what I'm asking, but it would be interesting to hear. I think I, think I get it. I mean, I think I get what you're saying. Like the first thing that comes to my mind is that I do not typically offer unsolicited advice about this or or anything, and I think that's significant. You know, if someone, I think it's important as Christians if someone wants to go, you to try to live this way. You know, you, you've, you're a second year undergraduate at a university and you want to just try uh, sleeping with people you just met at a party and like see how that goes. Uh, if you're not interested in what I think about that, then I'm, I'm not going to get in your face. God has made you free to do that. Um, to me, that looks awfully miserable. And I think one of the key things that we as Christians ought to do is to uh, live well. In this respect, um, there, there's a tendency in ortho, among Orthodox Christians and a lot of Christians to be, I think, kind of probably too prudish, you know, really looking down at the you know, enjoyment factor of sex, even within a marriage, uh, you know, kind of thinking of that as just kind of, well, basically as, as straight up evil, which it is not. Again, so going back to that thing I said about asceticism and like meat and ice cream. You know, ice cream is not evil. <laughs> Consuming it in the wrong way, way too often, out of out of its boundaries, is very bad. It's not good for you. That's important, and it requires a citizen. But it is not a bad thing. Enjoying sex is not a bad thing. The fruits of it, within the bonds of marriage, which is children, 
are not a bad thing at all. These are all really great things. <laughs> um, and so I think, I think living well within, within those boundaries is a really important witness that we can bear to the world. Because like I said, the world's goal well, I actually, I don't think I did say this. Let me say it now. I think that the world's goal is, is, is freedom, is to just have sexual freedom. And the thing is, when you go out and you look at the lifestyles out there versus my lifestyle, I'm way more free. And this bears out, this isn't just among Christians. This bears out in like statistics and they do studies. Married people are, have a, are more satisfied with their sex lives than single people. There's this like Hollywood myth that single people are out there and it's like a friends episode and everyone's getting it on with everyone else and just having a grand old time. This isn't what it's like to be single at all. A, single people are having less sex for one thing. So just right off the bat, like by a lot, married people have way more sex. It's astonishing that that surprises us because it should be so obvious. I live with my sex partner. We are together every night. <laughs> uh, so there you go. Opportunity is far greater. Uh, and, you know, we, we don't break up every few months and then, and then I'm single again, you know, for those runs where you're probably not doing it with anybody. So already, you know, you have more. But then B, it's more satisfying. And again, it's like somehow that surprises us, but it's because this libertine mythology, which is just idiocy. I don't think you have to be a Christian to see how stupid it is. But like, of course, you're going to enjoy sex more with somebody that you trust, that you've come to know, that you've built a relationship with, a relationship of love, um, and who who you get used to as a partner. You know, you start to know what, what each of you likes and doesn't like. And of course, it's going to go better. It's like anything else you've practiced. And, and you're in a space where you don't have all these pressures. You go out into the wild and try to live the libertine life. Well, you think you're having fun, but you're also incredibly worried about getting pregnant. You know, you're, you're, well, maybe you're even on birth control, but you're still terrified because nothing is perfect. You're terrified of getting sick. And don't tell me that's not in the back of your head because you might. You know, I know you're using protection and doing these things to mitigate, but that's, you're mitigating. You're reducing risk. You're not reducing it to zero. There's no way that's not in the back of your mind. And now you're worried, you know, and, and you, you should be. You, now you're worried, uh, am I really consenting to this? Is she or is he really consenting to this? How are we going to feel in the morning? Where it's like all of the pressure you're putting on yourself. <laughs> so the freedom that you desire, I feel like this is the message I would want to give for the world. That sexual freedom that you desire, that's not, that's okay. I think that's a good thing to, to seek for. It's just that, look, it turns out that you get that, you get as close to that as you're ever going to get within a, a deeply committed monogamous relationship that ends up looking pretty much exactly like marriage. You know, the desire for freedom, of course, is just a, I mean, that's a means to an end, right? What people really want is just what they want, which is to say they want to, they, they desire what they desire and want to satisfy their desires. And the interest in freedom has everything to do with being free to satisfy their desires as, as they would please. But, you know, I was just uh, part of a Bible, part of a Bible study. We're reading through Mark right now and just got past the, um, 
uh, Peter's confession of Christ, which is the point at which Christ says, um, you know, Christ must suffer. The Christ must suffer. And then he goes on and, 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 and talks about all that, basically how everything is just the opposite of, of how you think it's going to be. It's just the opposite, right? If you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. The only way to have your life is to, is, is in fact to embrace losing your life, right? To take up the cross and follow Christ. And it's the same thing. It's the same thing here, right? It's, um, you know, you, the, the, the the way to satisfy your desire is actually to uh to die to it right to die you 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 can you can find it in a marriage <laughs> you know the uh, with the marital crown and and uh and you know martyring uh you know becoming a kind of martyr a death to oneself so that now you have to live for another but it is in fact only in the giving up of freedom that you wind up having any sort of meaningful freedom. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And and you're and you're right. This is a pattern of so many things, and this is the point of asceticism broadly, both within sexuality and within everything. Is is to give it up so that you can have it. Give up meat so you can enjoy it on Pascha. You know, don't eat so much ice cream so when you do, you enjoy it. It, and it's it's key. It's a key key thing for all Christians. I mean, so returning to the question question of like, what would I say to a person? Often, I don't think I'd say much of anything um, unless they're asking. And if they ask me, then you know, I'd be happy to to say everything I just said um, about the, the the real freedom and and the fullness of what you of what you want really being something that you end up realizing sooner or later. You have to basically have a marriage to do because like it, it, consent is just su- it is such a flaccid concept to try to base this on it, it just isn't sufficient it's, it's just nowhere near it's nowhere near sufficient and we're, we're learning more and more by doing this basically this massive social experiment that our culture has got to be one of the first and only i always hesitate to say only but one of the few that's ever tried this out you know let's just see if we just make life one giant orgy what will happen and uh, what we're finding is we have a lot of problems when we do that. We have a lot of legal problems. We have it just creates a lot of issues. And when you're sort of seeing a, a society kind of circle back to being like, okay, you know, and now if you want to kind of safely go out there and 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 sleep with somebody, now you've got to be very very concerned. And this is actually, I don't think this is a bad thing at all. You should be like this. I'm I'm pro marriage. I'm not pro libertine chaos. Uh, so yeah, you want to be desperately, tremendously concerned about whether that person actually wants to do what they're doing, and the human and human desire is so complicated. So now you got to be super careful, and you're at the point where you basically have to both pull out contracts and say, okay, I agree to this, I agree to that, I agree to this, I agree. And you know, it's like, well, you know, at this point, maybe which is definitely not a, definitely not a marital contract, but right, some, no, it's some not completely that. other contract. <laughs> it's like here's here's an idea for you, world. What if I just have I'm just coming up with this on the fly? What if you like really got to know this person for a while and like felt out whether you're compatible emotionally, whether you can start a relationship, and uh, and then you know maybe like you know work that out, and if you feel really safe and secure, you can start talking about these issues, and and uh, maybe you can put yourself in a situation where if you do get pregnant, it's it's not going to be a crisis. Actually, you're kind of happy about it. And, and then and then maybe get in the sack and go crazy. Oh, wait. <laughs> you know, this is marriage. As it turns out, it exists. I mean, one way to think about this is exactly that, you know, the, the, the attempt 
the attempt for um, to, to base sex on consent immediately had to discover that consent ha- has to be more than just saying yes in a in the in that narrowest narrowest sense right of course it does because because that you know it, exactly the more you know the morning after it's like you know you know what it's like to be caught up in this in the spirit of things in any number of different areas but yet you know so exactly the problem is that is is maybe not so much consent culture itself as as the as the narrow idea of consent right and in fact you know because the yes the consent we actually kind of as 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 christians as orthodox christians we have actually quite a a robust theology of consent consent is very very is a very important notion for us. It is the first thing that happens at marriage. Right. That's you giving your consent, right? The first thing that's going to happen is the priest is going to ask you, are you here of your own free will? And are you here of your own free will? We don't even get started until you've offered in front of your friends and your family and the body of Christ itself, the fact that, yes, I really am consenting to this. Because if someone's pushing you and forcing you into this, or there's anything going on, then we can't proceed. Consent is huge. The consent of, of the Holy Theotokos, you know, uh, which is maybe what you were thinking of too, that uh, it's huge. Yeah, but yeah, you, you take it from there. Well, no, that's, yeah, no, that's exactly right, right? Because, because you know, I say, you know, thinking of thinking of consent as yes, as just saying yes as a, as a, as a problem. But of course, if you, if you see it for what it is, if you see, the, you know, the full meaning of yes, I mean, you know that what, what, what Mary does it says it says yes, but that's exactly to you know. So when you're when you're asked at the at the at the marriage ceremony, are you, are you here of your own free will? I mean that like that's a loaded question. That's the that's the question of communion itself, right? And then so in thinking about and thinking about consent, you know, just before this conversation, like the the ideas of uh, of in greek synergy or or latin cooperation right like these are f- you know saying yes to god uh um being open to receiving giving uh, giving consent to god is actually the very fundamental pattern of human willing like that is in fact um you know s- sort of the uh, the idea of existence our existence as humans itself. Yeah. Which is, I think really crucial in terms of how marriage, why marriage happens the way it happens. Cause it happens before God it happens before the, the body of Christ. Uh, because another, another layer of this is that it, consent isn't just saying yes. It isn't just saying yes in the moment, but consent is probably in most cases, not even just about these two people as though they can be isolated. You know, that, which that to which I can really wholeheartedly consent standing in front of my mom is <laughs> different from what I might be able to do when there's nobody around. Uh, and this matters. I think the fact that we put it out there in front of God and in front of everyone and, and in such a way that we can all, then the whole community can come and say, we consent to this too. You cannot get married as an Orthodox Christian if, if, it, if you don't have at least one person from the body of Christ to stand there next to you representing the church as a whole. And I don't just mean the priest as a priest too, but, but a sponsor, you can't do it without a sponsor. Someone has to be there who says, I consent too on the, on behalf of this community, on behalf of the church, 
I also consent. So it's not even just, well, you two do whatever you want if you agree. It's like, well, this affects all of us. If you, what, what you go off and do in the bedroom can affect everybody. You, so we're all part of this. <laughs> I, now, I don't want to be in the bedroom with you later, but, <laughs> but it affects me. I'm connected to it. And, you're, and you can't just act like the, I'm unaffected and it only is you. And I think that's why this is, this is starting to get into why I, I thought that, you know, this is kind of an interesting way to get into the broader, you know, male-female pattern uh, as a whole, be- precisely because, like, you know, why, you know, why, because why, what, what are you doing when you're giving your consent? And, like, why is it there, that there are other people around uh, in, the mar- in the marital ceremony and so forth? Um, because it, because it affects them. So this is what you're saying, right? So because it affects them and like to, to me, it's like, because what, you know, what is, what is the marriage ceremony, but exactly, um, you know, your, your, your willing, uh, willing entry into a pattern, right? You're going, you're, 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 you're taking up participation in something that's bigger than you right it's like it's you're you're entering into an office you're entering so right this this system right this uh, a system that 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 provides you a, a certain kind of solution right but or or you know man you know manifests um manifests god's truth and god's will you know at a certain level at a certain register right like there so we are given this pattern this system of marriage uh, to to enter into, and that's why you know that's why for for Orthodox Christians, as for other you know um, highly liturgical Christians, but but that you know which is increasingly rare, the the, the service is the same every time. Every time, yeah, yeah, and and the couple can't come in and decide it's going to be something else, right? And just tailor it to themselves because it isn't about you, right? <laughs> And that's important. It, it's about your, it's about your adoption of a pattern that's offered yes, to you. That's right. That's right. Hugely significant. Yeah. And that pattern. And so this is where you kicked off. So I, I'm, I'm seeing, I'm seeing your kind of connection point here. That pattern also involves male and female. That pattern also involves male and female. Is, is one of the things I think you're after here. <laughs> Yes, exactly. And what, well, and why would that be? And what does that mean? Yeah, well, it's a big one. Um, but certainly, you know, there's something, okay, so there's something fundamental about it. That we're given this pattern and it's not, you know, the marital pattern is ancient and it has been uh, repeated countless times from time immemorial, 
right? And so the thing, one of the things I keep I keep going back to when I think about the marriage ceremony and marriage and what is marriage and what's you know what is this male female relationship and why and 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 the kind of confusion that I perceive when when people are talking about marriage. Um, ha- it definitely has to do with, uh, you know, the difference between thinking of marriage as a contract narrowly in which this narrow, con- this narrow conception of consent is kind of just another version. It's uh, right. It's kind of even just a further a deterioration of what marriage has already been becoming, which is kind of a narrow contract. Well, maybe we can, maybe we can exercise this narrow contract uh, with even less formality and get away with it. And interesting, and interestingly, right. You, you make it as, as a minimal of formality as possible. All you got to do is say yes, uh, in the moment and immediately you, you bounce back and realize, okay, that's, you know, <laughs> you immediately have to recognize, okay, that's too informal. There has to be at least a little more formality. But, you know, so, but what you're doing is, is, you know, participating in a kind of, the thing that I keep coming back to when I think about, about marriage ceremony, uh, the Orthodox marital ceremony, uh, wedding ceremony, in contradistinction to, to this culture of consent and, and sort of narrow legal, narrow legal consent is exactly that the, the, um, the the mani- you know some of the key manifest- manifestations of the pattern are laid out for you in the ceremony itself so you you list the patriarchs and matriarchs right you talk and, and you you name the people who have been married from the especially from the old testament primarily because that's where we have a lot of example exactly yeah a bunch of scripture all the prayers i mean for those who may not be familiar with an orthodox wedding i'm, I'm just kind of interjecting yeah, go, yeah, yes. it, all, it all starts and it all it's the it's the going through kind of one by one basically one by one list of each of the marriages and you know the famous you know, sarah and abraham and uh, and then you go to what you know, all through all through them <laughs> and uh, kind of one after the other after the other, after the other. and i think you're, you're 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 dead on what you're doing is saying here's the pattern you are entering this pattern with all of these figures from scripture as well as you know saints and people after scriptures although they're not so much in the in the ceremony it's mostly about the, the old testament scripture um but yeah so you enter into that pattern yeah well and the pattern i mean it's interesting that you point out that it's that it's sort of a primarily old testament um because that's that's significant too because the pattern the male female pattern in the new testament isn't exactly um a, about the human marriage between a man and a woman, but taking that pattern up and, and turning it into, um, revealing that, that pattern, uh, is fulfilled by the, by the, by the relation between Christ and his church. Right. Right. Yeah. So it, t- it takes, it takes the foundation and as, as Christ himself claims about the entirety of the law and the prophets without undoing it, Christians don't cease to get married. At least, if, at least if you're not a mainstream Christian because of Christ, but it's just saying, oh yeah, and you see, the, the focus of the New Testament isn't on telling us more about, you know, mortal men and mortal women getting married. We've already heard about that. It's all, it's, it's opening our eyes to see that and this is the pattern of God in this church also. So you're entering even into that and that starts to become really quite profound. It, when you get married, uh, it's not just, hey, let's live together and 
I think it would be nice. Um, to some degree, it is that, you know, you're starting a household and there are certain ways in which it's a very mundane thing. <laughs> I, I think Christians can actually overblow it in ways that are problem problematic. Uh, and I think this is one of the issues that gets to some of the, actually, I, uh, perhaps I, sort of ironically, one of the things that's led to distortions in our culture is the overblowing of marriage too. To say it's this like, oh, all fulfilling, like all my emotion, emotional needs and this person is my everything and my soulmate and blah, blah, blah. Uh, I mean, I think an Orthodox view is simultaneously way higher than that and way lower <laughs> and kind of never quite at that spot. It's sort of like, on the one hand, my wife and I thought we could raise some kids together and run a household decently well. I think that's proved to be true, although we've had plenty of very serious struggles, as you know quite well. Um, but, uh, you know, mostly through the woods, on at least the most recent ones. And a lot of it is we just get along. Uh, and we run, a, we run a pretty good household. And, you know, pretty good friends. <laughs> uh, and we're pretty good at co-parenting. So, hey, there you go. And then that itself, though, it, it's not about being each other's soulmate. It's not about fulfilling each other's every need um the the desire for which i think just just about destroyed us in in, and concretely right but it's actually stepping back from that and saying "Eh, that's not really the point that's what hollywood says is the point and hollywood's full of it what's the point is to actually run that household really well and then open it also and this is where the christian's where we have something a little extra to say which is that but also recognize this is the pattern of christ of god and his church that we also participate in. So it's all, it's simultaneously just uh, like um, unspeakable, unspeakably deep and profound. And also, well, it's just every day. And that's, that's what sacraments are. (laughs) Bread and wine, bread and wine is just the most mundane foods, even today. And certainly in in the time of Jesus Christ, this is the absolute most, least interesting meal you could have served in first century Judea. And that's the point. It is precisely in that mundane sense, the thing that opens the window on the whole kingdom. Marriage is the same thing. It's a couple people living together, agreed on some things. And it's like, well, it's, it's, it's a man and a woman living together. And this is kind of what you're after is that there's something about that piece that suggests important to this pattern. And it's, yeah. Just, I mean, just the way you can't. Yeah, I mean, the bread and the wine. Um, you know, I don't know what I might have expected when I, you know, first communed as an Orthodox Christian, but like, it just tastes like bread and wine. Sure does, <laughs> right? I had a priest who used to ask us. I think on purpose because I was a fairly new Orthodox. How did communion taste today, Daniel? <laughs> He was, he is a person who, and I won't even, I won't even name him because I don't want to call him out. I is one of the people I've run into in my life who I think may be just very quietly, an absolute bona fide saint, just astonishing human being as far as I could tell. Uh, but yeah, he used to do that. He would punk me, punk us a little bit, but I think this is exactly what he was after. It's like your tongue is telling you it's bread and wine. Physically, I don't know if you put it under a microscope, I figure my tongue is a little science kid anyway, and it's telling me bread and wine. So it's probably what's in there at a molecular level, but that's, but that doesn't create a problem from an Orthodox point of view. Cause that, that is the point. Like that is, see, like get it right. Like this is, 
that's why it's the body and blood. The, the, the flip side of that point, the flip side of that coin is exactly like you can't, you can't just swap these things out. Just a kind of, just another kind of temptation uh, that you will see. It's like, well, if it's just bread and wine, then why can't it just be, well, on the one side, you know, br- you know, bread and grape juice, but on sure. the other side, already a problem, right? <laughs> it's already a problem. Yeah. On the other side, you know, Sunday brunch or, or whatever, or, um, uh, potato chips and, and Pepsi. There's, our, our, our Leo Olson, uh, published, uh, who's published a, a, a couple of novels, at least one novel, Orthodox Christian from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, nice fella. You can find his books. Leo, I'm giving you a plug right now if you're hearing this. Uh, anyway, he's gonna, uh, he wrote a memoir about his conversion to, to Orthodox Christianity. I thought it was really interesting. But what, one of the steps on the road for him in that book was um, in his Protestant and Evangelical time, serving a communion of potato chips and Pepsi on this notion that, well, it could be anything. But it can't. But and he, and he, took part, he took part in serving a I think he had organized it. Yeah. Yeah. And this was now he's Orthodox. And in, in the book, he's looking back and, and kind of just wrangling with like, this just isn't, <laughs> this just isn't right. Right. Uh, but it's hard to articulate why, like, why is that? Cause on the one hand, the meal afterwards, which might could, I mean, you might serve potato chips and Pepsi. It's not my favorite. Pepsi's not my favorite. I love potato chips, but <laughs> Pepsi's not my favorite. I mean, you yeah. might serve that at, at um at church after and enjoy that together and that would be part of communion in that way but it's also you can't put them in the chalice that has to be bread and wine it has to be but why yeah and to and to spin out let's say as we as we're eyeing eyeing our way towards the end of this first half yeah i mean i a very strong impression of a friend in the Mennonite brethren church who helped prepare communion for the first time and was expecting some kind of, um, uh, you know, se- a sense of the sacred, <laughs> but it was just not, it's like you go, you go back to the kitchen and it's like, pull out your wonder bread. Uh, you know, people are, are hurrying and rushing to cut it up into pieces and, and get your Welch's out of the fridge and, uh, and into the, you know, and there's something, uh, something about that like that 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 go that goes together right when you leave you know the the further you leave uh depart from the pattern towards the potato chips and and pepsi um goes alongside a, a a kind of um getting getting lost about the ritual aspect of it like why it's important to set aside the time and to set aside you know um the kind of at, the, the sort of attitude that you might might want to have a prayerful attitude, a prayerful space in which to prepare these things. I do want to pick up this notion of of marriages of marriages icon. Um, which, which I think neither of us have I've used that term, but that's how I'm, that's how I'm thinking about it. Um, but maybe we'll, but I want to start something. So I don't you know. You want to start something, you want to start something new. I okay. Start, well, maybe well, we, not, not necessarily, not new, but, but, uh, but, but get it going. I just noticed that we're about, yeah, about yeah. at the 40 minute mark. So I don't yeah, know yeah, if there's yeah. any, any concluding thoughts for the first half. Well, yeah, I mean. 
Yeah, well, let's dive, let's dive into it in the second half, and uh, hopefully some people will follow us over there. Um, but I think, well, I guess the concluding thought I would leave with is one thing I'm taking from what you're saying is that marriage, male-female relationships, sexual relationships, in in the Orthodox Church at least, they just, they don't mean the same thing as they do out there in the world. And I think that has some potentially some very interesting questions, uh, implications, I mean to say, very interesting implications for our relationship as a church with the world. The church is out there, or the world is out there doing certain things for certain kinds of reasons. And I think one of the things, and and we're we're doing things that may look very similar, but may in fact at the core of themselves be very, very different, both from the rest of the world and, and often from other Christian groups and other religious groups. Um, you know, so something like male, male, female, which I guess we'll, we'll jump into in the second half, which is a good space for it. But that may not mean the same thing with, there may not be the same reasons in the church as there would be outside the church. Um, or consent. I like my wife and I absolutely need to <laughs> consent to have sex with each other. Um, the whole shape of it is quite different. Well, some, in some ways, just for practical reasons, we have this relationship with trust. We've been married for years. We have kids, blah, blah, blah. But in other ways, it's different you know, even fundamentally, what does that even mean? And so one of the things I think that, and we've talked about this in the past, not on the show, I don't think, but, but just between ourselves, that it can put us in an awkward space as Orthodox Christians. And this circles us right back to the where we started at the start of this section, which is, I said something about when it comes to consent culture, I'm, I said something about not necessarily caring. And what I mean there is like, if I look at the, you know, the campus orgy, Someone is someone has to try to regulate that. <clears throat> the rule of law needs to be applied because women need to be protected as much as we can. I care about those things, but what's going on there is so different from what I think human relationships ought to be that there's also a way in which I'm weirdly indifferent. Um, not I'm not indifferent to to keeping people safe, but it's especially women because they're more vulnerable, substantially more vulnerable. This is part of this whole mystery. I'm sure we'll talk about, um, but, and th- I'm not indifferent to that. That's significant. And the state has a duty and campuses have a duty, but there's also a sense in which like you're trying to do something that is already such a, a nightmarishly bad idea. You're trying to sail across the Atlantic, you know, on a, a nothing. You're going to swim across the Atlantic or, uh, you know, on a little cardboard box. And so there's a certain way in which all I can do is stand here and be like, well, that just, that isn't going to work. You're going to find that out sooner or later. So that's the kind of indifference. And I, I think all these kinds of issues surrounding sex, surrounding gender, you know, marriage, who can legally get married. I don't know. As an Orthodox, I always find myself, I often find myself in a really puzzling place, like where, I, where I'm not really sure what to think. What should the rules be about consent on campus? I don't think I'm really the person to ask because I've elected, and even at the time, even when I myself was an undergraduate, I elected to just get out of there and not have anything, any, a damn thing to do with it. And if anyone wants my advice, who's 21 years old and wants to know <laughs> about sex, I'm going to be like, don't get involved in that. It's a circus. You're going to get hurt. It's awful. And it isn't even remotely worth it. If you want, if you, if you want the best of this whole thing, come over and do this old school and be, <laughs> and do it the way we do it. And not because we're prudes, the opposite. So yeah, I just, yeah, I, maybe that's the concluding thought here for this section is that we need to be very careful before we, 
leap to assumptions about what what the law should be for example um, should we try to use the state should we try to use law to make marriage look more like it does in the church well maybe we talked about this with abortion before too maybe we should try to do that but we have to remember you're never going to make it marriage as it happens in the church only happens in the church and whether the state allows you know eight people and a dog to call themselves a marriage or not may or may not have anything to do with what we're talking about. This is another matter that, that involves people who are living a different, in a different like universe almost. And the state has to regulate that universe and how it regulates that universe is to a degree, kind of none of our business. Uh, and that cuts both ways, right? <laughs> uh, which I think we talked about with the abortion thing, but so I mean, maybe that's my concluding thought is that it's, it's an it's an odd space to be, and we have to remember we're we're not doing the same thing. It, we're and if we're fighting about the surface of it, and say if we think if I think to myself, marriage as an orthodox is the same thing as it is from a secular point of view. Um, if if I think they're the same, then then we might need to change who is allowed to get married in the orthodox church, or we might need to try to force the secular world not to you know not to let same sex couples get married, something like that. But I'm not sure that's at all true. Maybe these are just, in fact, radically different realities, social, but just institutions, just different things, radically different things that actually have a lot less to do with each other than we might think. Yeah, I've got, uh, yeah. So in this, in the second half, I want to talk about, uh, about trying to describe why I think, um, how to think about the fact that these are different worlds. Um, and why, and why I think that makes, that makes where that, where the different worlds comes from and, and why that's, why that, why that's a helpful way to think about it. And here's a quick taste of what you will hear in that second half. And if you try, if you try to prove it, you're trying to do the wrong kind of, you're trying to relate to it in the wrong kind of way. Yeah, because God doesn't exist. That's the problem with it. Right. <laughs> right. You'll never prove it. I'm, and I'm fond of saying if you. Though the one who the one who searches for uh, concrete proof of God's existence is the one who simply seeks to uh, uh, worship concrete. Well, uh, then we'll cut a, this first portion off for the moment. Thank you to all our listeners for joining us for this uh, first half of this episode of Men Among Demons. We will continue for the rest of our conversation in our patrons-only half of the episode. You can join us on patreon.com slash menamongdemons to find the second half of this episode. Your support makes this podcast possible. Find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash menamongdemons for exclusive content and to join the conversation. 